Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. It's an honor to welcome the president of Spalding University to the podcast today. President Tori Murden McClure is in the midst of celebrating a couple of landmark events in her life. One of those is the uh, just a slightly over the 10th anniversary of leading Spalding University as president. We'll discuss this COVID academic year and what comes next for the downtown Louisville School. And I'll ask her to think back 20 years or more and what she remembers and learned from becoming the first woman and the first American to row solo across the Atlantic Ocean. President McClure, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, to talk with us today. It's, uh, as I said, uh, an, an honor. And I'd like to start, if you don't mind, with um, an open letter that uh, you use on your website, which I just thought was striking uh, and, and some of the of course, you are a writer, and we'll talk about that too, but some of the words that, that you chose when you uh, have published this on your website, community is what makes Spalding great, and Spalding is a university whose mission is based on meeting the needs of our times. Now, I'm just going to imagine that uh, you wrote that before the pandemic, uh, maybe not, but uh, addressing the needs of our times uh, how's this uh, COVID year been for Spalding University? You know, it hasn't been, a, it has not been a bad year for Spalding University. Uh, those words are actually from our mission statement. Uh, Spalding University is a diverse community of learners dedicated to meeting the needs of the times. And it goes on from there, it talks about the history of the Sisters of Charity. It's very short, and uh, but it ends with, and the, um, and the promotion of peace and justice is the last last words of our mission statement. And it's we've had that mission statement for decades. But this year, probably beyond all others, has tested the strength of that mission and our commitment to peace and our commitment to justice and our commitment to diversity and that diverse community of learners, you know, any, any uh, religious community will tell you that Communities are not um, uh, always in agreement. Communities are always in, in struggle and there are always tensions. And to be a diverse community requires that we don't all see things from the same point of view, don't all have the same life experiences, don't all have the same skin color or economic realities. Um, but to be a diverse community, it's the learner that is the, that's the glue. Uh, to be able to to learn and care about other people, um, we were declared a compassionate university back in on uh, November 11, 2011, same day that the city of Louisville was declared a compassionate city. And we we wrestle with that. There have been years when I'm like, we're not going to be compassionate anymore. It's too hard um, because I get these letters going. You claim to be a compassionate university, but you're not paying enough attention to me. And I'm like, I think you missed the whole point of, of the compassion conversation. But um, going back to its its roots, the Latin pati, uh, which is the root for passion, uh, means suffering. Uh, what you're passionate about, you're willing to suffer for. 
And the prefix kam means with, the willingness to suffer with another. And most of our disciplines, our, um, our academic professional degrees, are a willingness to suffer with another. Our nurses, our teachers, our social workers, our mental health professionals. We've got one of the finest mental health programs in our um, clinical psychology degree in the, in the region, if not the country. Um, just a spectacular and mental health is a big deal right now and and being overlooked in the very serious medical uh, component we have but that history of of rowing a boat across the ocean and before I did that skiing to the south pole I had a certain comfort with uncertainty and I think that's been a challenge for for most people in this um, new reality and that comfort with uncertainty and that tolerance for adversity. Granted, the adversity has been different for many of us, uh, um, have had less adversity than others. But that comfort with uncertainty um, yesterday, well, earlier this morning, I was talking to our faculty, our faculty leaders about my desire to, to declare an actual snow day, not just close campus, but cancel virtual classes, have a snow day. And they were having none of it. And, and it wasn't until after the meeting that I realized it's really me asking, hey, can I add one more element of uncertainty to your lives right now? And they were like, no. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, well, I, the the, uh, the term I used earlier in, in just uh, jotting down some things I wanted to talk to you about uh, was uh, you've been tested before. So uh, when something like this comes along, although it's uh, it's much different, uh, but even uh, individually and you have a, a lot of support and and. Uh, um, uh, folks that you've surrounded yourself with that are um, very helpful to you, I know uh, you give them a lot of credit. But let me return to because you had in your in your mission statement, and uh, I can remember hearing you speak a couple of times when you talked about a, a diverse uh, and justice uh, a world, and and you wanted to to uh, be sure that you were doing that at at the university at Spalding. And then along comes not only uh, the pandemic, but uh, unrest in uh, our cities. Uh, certainly, uh, Louisville knows this better than than uh, a lot of cities around the country, but uh, a lot of cities around the country uh, went through some horrendous uh, challenges and difficulties with uh, diversity. And um, you had your own, as I mentioned, right there in Louisville, and I, I guess are still working to overcome that or to uh, meet it and and um, and and be challenged by it and and then overcome it. I I I would think that you would have already had sort of a basis for for diversity and inclusion and understanding that uh, the world is not going to succeed uh, and and be a better place until we do grapple with some of those sometimes uncomfortable subjects. Yeah, they're all uncomfortable subjects. And, and Spalding's been right in the middle of it. We're less than a mile from Jefferson Square, which, as you know, is the epicenter for the protests uh, on the uh, death of Breonna Taylor. And um, it was a tough summer. Uh, COVID made it worse because to try to make connections and feel connections in this environment has been has been challenging. The um, First Unitarian Church, which offered sanctuary to the protesters after curfews were in place, is contiguous to the Spalding campus. And one evening, some of the, um, the, the 
legitimate protesters kicked out some illegitimate protesters and those those uh young 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 people um smashed about 40 windows on our campus and set a set a car on fire and it was a saturday night and the next morning i was on campus early with our facilities folks and cutting plywood to to fix the windows and everyone was expecting a certain amount of of ire from me. And I was like, windows can be fixed. What folks are arguing about and protesting are, are much worse than broken windows and much worse than, than cars being set on fire. And um, not that, you know, there's a difference between protest and riot. And I absolutely support protest. Um, and um, I was paid a high compliment that day, though, the head of our facilities team said, you know, it's a little embarrassing that the best carpenter on our team is the president. <laughs> and I, yeah, I had a very nice saw and put it to very good use that day. But the, the, the pain of um, in, in Kentucky, we're mostly talking about the African-American community. The pain of the black community is historic and real and legitimate and true. And we need to pause and, and think about that. Now, lots of folks struggle with the phrase uh, white privilege or and they struggle even more with the phrase white supremacy. In academia, these, these, these principles have been around for a very long time and we've learned to come to terms with them or learn to understand them in a different way because they're being used in a different way by the current generation of our students. And that notion of white supremacy is no longer about the Ku Klux Klan or, or, or Nazism. It's about, you know, look around. And if only white people are in charge in an institution, that's, that's about white people being supreme or white people being in power. And we need to question that. And that the challenge of that is all of Western civilization is built on paradigms that that honor white people over others. And so it's hard to dismantle. I heard a great story from a a colleague who uh, was leading a school in in Africa and she hired a local man and said, you know, the first month he worked for me, he was always early. And the next month he was always on time. And the month after that, he was a little bit late. And the month after that, he was a little later. So finally she confronted him about it and said, you come later every day, what's the story? and he looked at her confused and said, I come the same time every day. I come 45 minutes after sunrise. So there are concepts like time and space and distance and what is right and what is true and what is urgent and what is not that are culturally driven. And we need to, to cut each other some slack and some space to, to, to question our paradigms when they're um, not allowing folks to be their whole and true selves. Did you see uh, the unrest in Louisville and uh, around the country as as being, it's almost trite to say, but a teaching moment where there interactions with students and discussions with faculty uh, about uh, the notions that you just mentioned? Absolutely. And I think one of the real teaching moments is... Uh, uh, so much of the summer and fall and winter has been about one group trying to shame another group. And <laughs> it just doesn't work. And it causes the other group to dig in deeper and to get more animated in their passions. Um, that, that sense of we just need to listen to opposing points of view and the notion that we're, 
the information we get is driven by an algorithm and we're going to get fed what we, what we ask for. And we need to get out of our bubbles and talk to other people and, and uh, challenge ourselves to, to be in the presence of folks with whom we just viscerally disagree and uh, try to find some common humanity and common ground. What um, makes uh, Spalding University uh, the kind of place that you maybe envisioned or wanted it to be uh, 11 years ago? Yeah, the, the place I inherited was a little scrappier and a little grittier than it is now. Um, we were pretty deeply in debt. We've paid, paid off almost all our debts at this point. Uh, renovated most of the campus, doubled the size of the campus. So things are better at Spalding than they've ever been. But Spalding will always be living on the edge. Of, um, it's a it's a it's a scrappy institution, and we start we serve a truly diverse student body. About a third of our students are from underrepresented minorities, and I'm not talking about international students. I'm talking about local students, and um, so. I've had opportunities to go to more prestigious institutions, but when it comes to meeting the needs of the times, I love that because it's a finish line I can never cross. Uh, I will always be chasing the what's the next need? What, what are we trying to do? And I could go serve a more prestigious institution, but to do that, I'm serving more, I would be serving more privileged students, students who don't have to fight so hard to get an education. Our students are fighting to get an education. And it's not easy for them. And they're they're going uphill in deep snow to, to make that happen. And those are the students I want to serve. Those are those are, and our faculty are fantastic. Um, I I used to love to say that, you know, uh, our students come in. Mm, I, I, it's a it's a hand visual, so I'm trying to uh, translate for a podcast. You know, our, our students come in at a, about a two and they leave at about a six. And at an Ivy League school, they come in at a nine and they leave at a 10. So who has the better teachers? Ours go from two to six and theirs just go up one point. Yeah. So the, the needs that you would um, like to address and uh, strive uh, to accomplish in the next few years, what, what are some of those? What will make uh, Spalding... Uh, even grittier, but but greater at the same time. Yeah, I think there there are a number of opportunities for us. Uh, we're we're starting a physical therapy program as a balance to our occupational therapy program, which is phenomenal and just a fantastic program. Uh, our nursing school is uh, is doing well, and we're in search. We're searching for a new leader in nursing, and we're looking for somebody bold and innovative. So, if you have any listeners who know any really creative folks in nursing. Uh, we're ready to try new great things. Um, mental health is is not going anywhere. I would love, I think the country, um, I feel I stay certified as an emergency medical technician because every time I think I'm going to let that certification lapse, something happens right in front of me on campus. And I think, all right, it's worth going and getting my hours. But we need to create a different kind of first responder, a first responder that's dedicated to mental health interventions. And I think whether you're pairing, you're giving social workers EMT training, which would not be all that difficult or expensive, but to send folks into the field who know enough medicine to determine what's a medical emergency from what's a, a mental health emergency and to respond to the mental health emergency with, with appropriateness, we, you know, it is not okay for us to keep 
shooting naked people who are running down the street. You can just understand that if they're naked running down the street, something's not right. Um, and and there've got to be better, better ways for us to go about it. And they're they're good models. Uh, they're models in Eugene, Oregon. They're good, but we need to make them national. Uh, the other uh, area of that that you you touched on, but uh, that is the 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 mental uh, anguish and stress uh, on on everyone involved in a, uh, a a number of environments, but the educational environment. Uh, it seems like there, well, uh, statistics prove this, uh, that, that students, high school, uh, middle school, all the way up through uh, higher education have really struggled this year uh, uh, during the pandemic uh, and in 2020 is what I meant to say. Um, you've seen that and, and, and your heart must ache when you confront uh, or have the opportunity to talk with a student or a faculty member for that matter who is struggling with uh, the just uh, uh, the way we're zooming uh, so much, uh, the the uh, interaction that we don't uh, have, uh, all, all of those things. Touch, touch on that a little bit, and 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 how you've you've been able to uh, support, uh, advise, and, uh, and and bring staff and students along with you. Uh, yeah, I really feel for our students, particularly the high school, early college age students who all their social milestones are getting taken away. Their, their commencements, their basketball games, their, their parties. Um, as much as a university administrator doesn't want to have parties, you know, all those experiences that, that college students are accustomed to having are, are not happening right now. And, uh, you know, we, it's COVID. We've got one of our athletic teams is under lockdown because one of them tested positive. All those 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 little milestones that you normally get to experience in high school and college, um, this group of students aren't experiencing. And for older folks, we've all of us have experienced something like COVID, whether it was a broken ankle or some illness that had us, you know, hold hold up for a while. But this is the first time we're all experiencing it at the same time. And a lot of young people just haven't had the life experience to, to feel what it's, what it was like before, how it's going to be different going forward there. You know, it's not the, the new normal, it's just the next normal. And there'll be another next normal after that. Um, and uh, many young people are not comfortable being alone and our devices give us the perception of company, but it's not the same as physically uh, being able to be around other people. We've heard a lot uh, during uh, the last year, uh, during uh, the pandemic, about uh, the struggle uh, and challenges that particularly small uh, universities and colleges uh, have have had to um, meet. And uh, th- there are going to be some that have closed. Some have already closed. Um, uh, what... What can you say to us today that can ensure your your many uh, alumni and supporters and and people who love the fact that it's a downtown university in Louisville, uh, Kentucky, uh, that that's not going to happen to Spalding? Yeah, we uh, happily Spalding. We've been saving for a rainy day. We didn't expect it would rain this long or this hard, um, but uh, all. Most small institutions had experienced a little bit of a enrollment drop-off just because of the demographic um, realities. 
Uh, we've done okay through this and our finances because we, we, we put ourselves on a solid footing are fine, but we, we've had to really pull back and, uh, and not invest in things that we would typically be investing in, you know, professional development, all sorts of things that we've stopped doing to get through. And when we stopped doing them so we could keep our dining and facilities folks fully employed, even though there aren't folks on campus or not as many folks on campus, but we were committed to, to keeping our most vulnerable employees uh, employed, which is, uh, which is our commitment to compassion and diversity and doing the right thing. And, and when I watched colleagues at Ivy League institutions furloughing all their dining staff, I was just furious. If Spalding can afford to keep people employed, you can buy God wealth employed, employ those folks as well. But yeah, they didn't listen to me. I did, I, I did during this time uh, serve as the vice chair of the Board of Governors for the NCAA. So I was in the room when we canceled the Final Four last year. Ooh. Well, what did just that? That I remember that now, but I, I didn't know you were in the room, but I knew you were involved. Uh, what was that like? It was my first experience with making a B billion dollar decision, and hopefully, it will be my last experience with making a B billion dollar decision. Um, but it was a it was a good experience for me in in total because because I'm from Spalding in Louisville, Kentucky, I can get away with saying whatever I want. I'm not a division one president looking for my next gig. And, and so I had a certain amount of freedom that I could see that my colleagues did not have to, to do things and cause trouble. I got a great compliment on my, on my way out of that vice chair role. Uh, 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 president from a prominent HBCU said, you know, there are folks who, sit by and watch traffic going by and not Tori. She charges right out in the middle of the street. She stops traffic and tells them they have to listen. I'm like, I'm not sure, not sure Spalding's corporate counsel would like that description. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I I didn't expect to to, uh, talk about this, but there's been, I don't think there's been an absolute final decision on the final four this year. Has there, I've heard some, uh, rumblings. I know they they plan to go to Indianapolis and and do all those different venues and all of that. But so I, I heard a report the other day that said it could all change uh, at the last minute. Uh, maybe that's maybe I didn't hear that right. Yeah, no, I think I think that's the the way it may be. And I, my role ended in January, so I'm happy not to not to be wrestling through those decisions on a daily basis. But uh, for about a, a couple couple months, I was the acting board chair. And uh, that was a hot seat to be sitting on in the time of COVID. Um, and it's really unusual for a Division Three president to end up sitting in the, the chair of the Board of Governors. But, uh, wow. Okay. How interesting. Um, and, and I would imagine, did it give you a, a different perspective or a new perspective, or did it open up anything um, in your thinking about sports versus academics and and, and what's more important? It was really troubling to watch um, as, you know, we, uh, Vivek Murtry, who is the new Surgeon General, was on the Board of Governors. Uh, and so he was saying, you know, talking about the science, about we can't be doing this and that and the other. And he was right. And then Division uh, FBS football was like, we're, we're going to play football. And like, yeah, but we're not doing face-to-face. Nobody's doing face-to-face classes. Yeah, but we're going to play football. And uh, so it was really interesting to watch those uh, things being driven and how the need to play football affected the 
accessibility of testing um, and, and how the statistics for testing came about and, and universities wanting to test as many students as possible so they could keep their incidence rate really low. So they're testing folks at, you know, as many as they could. So lots of statistical games being played. Yeah. Well, I hope we never have to uh, make those kinds of decisions again uh, uh, because of, of the pandemic and what it, what it, what it has done and is still doing, but boy, did it open up a lot of, um, of that kind of thinking and debate and, and argument. And, um, I don't want to get started and go down that road because I have some really strong opinions about that. So um, I do want to say, and it, it really goes without saying, but of course, you know me well enough to know that I'm, I'm going to say it, um, that uh, Kentucky Humanities and uh, this uh, podcast, Think Humanities, is so pleased to have Spalding University and the School of Creative and Professional Writing underwrite our podcast Um uh, we're just very pleased with that and hope that continues. So we're going to hear a little word about uh, the school, and then we're going to come right back and wrap it up with the president of Spalding University, Tori Murden McClure. At Spalding University's School of Creative and Professional Writing, students develop mastery of the writing skills, highly prized in today's workplace, including arts and humanities organizations, government agencies, corporations, and small businesses. A professional writing student will explore opportunities writing for trade and consumer media, including reviews, profiles, interviews, and articles for sports, food, travel, health and science, and other publications. Learn more at spalding.edu slash school of writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Earlier in the broadcast, I did mention a, a, a couple of landmarks, although there are many, many more than just a couple uh, in your life. But the ones that have uh, occurred um, recently, uh, your tenure at Spalding as president, and then also just a, a few weeks and months ago, you celebrated uh, 20 years uh, of your voyage across the big water, um, the uh, the first American, the first woman to to row solo and unassisted, underlined unassisted across uh, the Atlantic Ocean. Um, you captured all of that in uh, a very well-received, uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever called it a memoir, but it, it was really uh, the story of your life to that point. Uh, you've just got to add uh, part two to that. Uh, but, uh, that, that, uh, very well-received book, uh, was uh, titled a pearl in the storm. So looking back, I mean, 20 years, that's, you know, that gets beyond, uh, just, just a few years doing one thing. I mean, tw 20 years was, uh, I was 20 years at uh, 21 years at KET and, and I thought that was, that was a long, long time. <laughs> uh, and now five years at Kentucky Humanities. So, you, you know, things happen like that, but, but 20 years ago you did this and, uh, I went back and watched some video of you, uh, landing there, uh, and feet on the ground or on the dock for the first time. Um, to take us back to that briefly, and, and as you celebrated the 20-year anniversary, what sort of thoughts, emotion um, did you have? Yeah, I was really glad to hear you call my book a, a memoir. Uh, unfortunately for me, uh, when it was published, it got categorized as a nautical book. And in places like Kentucky, they, they put uh, nautical books on the same shelf as transportation. 
So my book about taking your rowboat alone across the ocean went on the transportation shelf in bookstores. So while it was well received by, by humanities folks and librarians, it did not fly off those uh, transportation shelves. Um, uh, fortunately for me, uh, I was approached a number of years ago by two very clever people, Don Landis and Daniel Goldstein, who asked if they could get the rights to my book to write a musical. Now, a musical about a woman alone in a rowboat didn't really strike me as something that was going to be hugely uh, really going to happen. So I said, yes, thinking it was, was never going to go anywhere. I'd never see these two people again. They've written an amazing show that takes all the universal themes from my book and, and, and makes, I mean, it's just beautifully done. And they were to have a world premiere last summer at the Williamstown Theater Festival. And they had to cancel that premiere, but Williamstown brokered a deal with um, Audible.com to record their their season. And uh, they recorded in December uh, a very an Audible version of, of the musical Row, R-O-W, and uh, it will come out April the 8th. And I'm excited. They had an amazing cast because with Broadway and other theaters shut down, folks were more than happy to participate in something. So um, I feel very lucky. And I have no economic interest. I have no artistic or editorial rights. It's uh, it's all uh, Don and Danny uh, made it happen. Well, that's wonderful. I, I, we will all look forward to listening to that and maybe see a stage event of it um, sometime. Uh, do, do you think of it often? Uh, do, do you... Um, I, is there any time when you sort of wish you were back on that boat by yourself uh, for a few hours just to, to, to have a little uh, meditation time? Absolutely. There, you know, um, th- there was a satellite telephone on my second journey. On the first journey, all my communications went out um, eight days from the start. So I went for 78 days with no contact uh, with anyone on land. And um, I do... I do sometimes wish I could just have a couple hours where I was out of touch. And even even now, uh, when I go climbing or, or go do, do some trip, it's rare to get off the grid anymore, like truly off the grid. Yeah. You, um, you never looked, you never had any regrets at all about, about taking the time and the preparation and, and what it did for you physically and mentally. I don't think you've ever looked back, have you? No, no. I uh, um, on my first uh, solo attempt, I was hit by a hurricane, and so I'm reaching an age where lots of those um, injuries are coming back to haunt me. But I'm also learning the virtues of stretching and and things that I never had time for before. Uh, but I'm still pretty. I cross country skied yesterday in Louisville, Kentucky. It was fabulous skiing. Oh, and, uh, great! And I still did. Know. You pull a sled? I did not pull a sled. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is what made it spectacular. Yeah. Do you have a um, a, a goal? Uh, have you set uh, the the bar for some other uh, accomplishment? If you had the time to to take off a sabbatical or whatever and try to achieve, you know, I I'm very happily married, and I and I think long journeys and happy marriages don't necessarily go together. Um, but there are short trips I'd like to do. I had an invitation to go to Greenland this summer. I haven't, I haven't taken it up yet. Um, there's a, a famous path across Iceland that you can backpack 
that I'd, I'd love to do. But now I'm thinking about what I can do with young people and, and help them achieve uh, and tag along as, as the old lady. Yeah. Um, you have such a, for the folks listening to us, um, and you're zooming in from your home, you have such a lovely uh, library. Uh, let me just ask you, without you turning around and grabbing one, what are you reading now? Do you, do you read a variety of fiction and nonfiction and um, memoir or, or poetry? What are you, uh, what, what's on your current reading list? Yeah, I, um, I mostly read for work. Um, books on anti-racism and things like that are, are high on the list uh, these days. Um, I, for most of my life, I read only nonfiction, and I was reading uh, a passage from Thomas Jefferson who says, "Fiction, everyone must read fiction." And I was horrified. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that's that's three quarters of our three quarters of most libraries," and and I sort of left that off. So. Uh, happily, I was a student in the Masters of Fine Arts and Writing program at Spalding University, and it it changed my life in terms of exposing me to great fiction and great writers. And um, truth is, stranger than fiction, fiction makes more sense. Uh, so it, uh, it's been a real pleasure. Well, I've always loved uh, your uh, statement uh, that I've heard you say in person before. Uh, that uh, although you were educated at Smith and Harvard and and uh, uh, your your uh, maybe this is isn't absolutely accurate, but your your greatest one of your greatest learning experiences, educational experiences, has been at Spalding uh, at uh, what was the MFA program? Yeah, it's uh, I I have said that and we'll continue. I said that before I was president at Spalding. It was the academic high point of my life. It. Uh, really changed the way I think about the world, uh, changed the way I think about myself, and it helped me write uh, my, my, my book, A Pearl in the Storm. Well, um, it's been uh, such a pleasure to, to uh, renew our um, friendship uh, for these uh, many years um, and the conversations that we've had. I hope we continue to have uh, many like this and uh, continued uh, best of luck and, and success. You've just been a, uh, a marvelous um, mentor to so many people and uh, a leader uh, across the world. And I think uh, you have so many admirers and uh, I count myself as one of those and, and, and so many at Kentucky Humanities. So we, we appreciate uh, what you've done and, and hope we can visit again sometime. I admire you and I admire your work. You've been a great Kentuckian for a very long time doing good stuff. And so keep it up. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.